Welcome to the Shelfformers podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I'm Sugu, your co-host, and today we're going to talk about a property that I know literally nothing about, and yet I bought a toy for it recently. Uh, we're going to talk about Gundam. And I'm your co-host, Darby. And yeah, join us today as we talk with a very special guest who's going to introduce us to the wider world of Gundam and also give a fantastic anecdote about Orson Scott Card that has no connection whatsoever to Gundam. <laughs> Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, the author of the novels Ever the Hero and A Country of Eternal Light. I'm a senior writer for Screen Rant and a contributor for Star Wars Newsnet. I am also part of the Movie News Network podcast, talking all things movies, TV, and pop culture. I collect comic books, Star Wars toys, and things I really should not be buying. <laughs> and I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. I collect mostly Transformers, but I've recently started collecting Marvel Legends figures and die-cast cars, such as Hot Wheels. Since living in Japan, I've developed an interest in tabletop gaming, so I also have a wide collection of board games. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about... Um, uh, about a franchise I've been told I should like, and I just never got around to it. And to kind of help uh, navigate these new and uncharted waters, we've got a special guest here. Uh, this is Shaddy. Hi, Shaddy. How's, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Um, good. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, Shaddy lives uh, in Japan, and... Uh, it's basically the home of Gundam and yeah, that's about all I know. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Shaddy, why don't you kick us off and, uh, and tell us about Gundam. Sure. I'd be happy to. I mean, you're not wrong when you say that uh, Japan is definitely the home of Gundam, but I think that, you know, it's fair to say that Gundam at this point uh, in its life is a pretty international thing. You've got, fans from all over the world i've since i've come to japan uh, i think i was telling you guys a little bit about this before the podcast started recording but i've been in japan for about nine years now uh, i came in december 2012 and i probably if you are an anime and manga fan in japan and, and that's i came to japan as an anime and manga fan like you know i sugu i don't know about your experience but you know when you live in japan for a while as a foreigner there's different avenues or different, uh, you know, sort of paths that we all uh, travel on to get to Japan. And when we we come here, we find other people who you know took similar paths to us, right? So um, when I got here, I originally came to Japan uh, out of a desire to improve my Japanese, so I could go back and get a PhD in Japanese anthropology. Uh, that is a road not taken. Uh, <laughs> decided to stay. But and that's also something that happens to a lot of the foreigners who are living here long term. But when I came here, I 
I would say that far back in my early childhood, I fell in love with Japanese culture, but mostly through anime and manga. I was a big fan of Dragon Ball. Um, I became a fan of Gundam later. I would say uh, I became, well, I'll get into that later, a little bit later, but like a lot of other fans, I thought to myself, I really want to go to Japan. I want to find out what that, that's like. You know, If I love Gundam and I really want to experience more of it, I want to be able to see so much more of it than just say, seeing it on television every once in a while. I got to go to the source. So I came to Japan. Did you think One that the... there were going to be Gundam walking up and down the streets? No, I didn't. But I thought that I would find <laughs> a lot more people. So, I mean, you guys, your your listeners know y'all are from Iowa. Um, I don't know. I don't have an accent or there's nothing really to tell apart from me. But I'm, I'm from You've Illinois. You've got a Midwest accent. It comes mm. out every once in a while. I do a pretty good job of hiding it. But, uh, yeah, I'm from <laughs> Illinois. I could tell you I'm from a tiny town called Effingham. Uh, and I don't know how many other Gundam fans there were in my hometown. When I was in eighth grade, when Gundam Wing was becoming really popular on Toonami, uh, yeah, there were like five or six. By the time I graduated from high school, uh, not so many more. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I came to Japan expecting was just being able to find people to talk about Gundam with. You know, like, do you like this model? What's your favorite series? What, you know, like, why is it that you like Gundam? Um, and I, that's what I expected coming to Japan. And, you know, I, I, I have a, a memory, which I can sort of talk to about my first time going to, uh, Kansai's version of, uh, Akihabara. Uh, I don't know. I, I should probably explain for your, for your listeners who don't know, hmm. Akihabara is an area in Tokyo that's known for anime and manga. That's when you, when people talk about massive fandom in Japan and seeing, uh, like, giant anime and manga fans, which are sometimes called otaku, sometimes correctly and sometimes erroneously. Uh, that's what you think of. You think of Tokyo and you think of Akihabara. There is an area in Osaka in Western Japan called uh, Nipponbashi, or colloquially it's called Denden Town. Den meaning electronics, so electronics town. Um, yeah, I was going to say, Denden Town, I know through like through tech stuff. It's where you can actually negotiate electronic prices right and that's where that's where the den comes from right so there's a ton of uh retro gaming stores lots of computer stores there you can get like tech there and around that you'll also see a lot of made cafes uh there's like a gigantic uh and melon books which are like sort of big manga stores that you can find not only manga but which are comics, uh, but you can also find uh, Dojin, which are sort of fan-produced comics as well. It's sometimes that's the only place that you can get them if you're interested in those. Um, and there, there's a huge community of fans who are into, like, fans supporting other fans, writing their own uh, sort of rip-offs. I don't know, rip-offs, not their, loving homages, <laughs> probably. Uh, fanfic. To, uh, yeah, fanfics, essentially. I would say that sometimes the authors of those are, are fine with it, and sometimes they're not. Uh, which I suppose also works for fanfics too, but uh, I think the prof- the profiteering off of it sometimes rubs. Uh, you talked about mangaka earlier. Mangaka being uh, manga artists, uh, they're not. Pre- well, anyway, this is we're going on a rabbit trail. But anyway, my my first experience in Denden Town after getting to Japan, my friend, a good friend of mine named Taku, who's Japanese, took me there. He was a Japanese person who loved anime and manga, but didn't hardly know anything about Gundam which was my first, that was one of my first things. Like, wait a second, I'm in Japan. 
and all of my Japanese friends don't watch Gundam and don't like it. <laughs> and then going to Denden Town, that was like the Holy Grail. There were Gundam models everywhere. And I bought this model, which I'm holding up. This is, you know, through the miracle of podcasting, which is a very visual medium, obviously. <laughs> uh, you can see I'm holding up what's actually my favorite model of Gundam uh, would be the Easy 8 which I'll, I can talk about later because it gets confusing with the, the number designations for all the models. But Yeah, so anyway. let's go real quickly. What's the full sure. name of that model? Uh, that, that's it. Literally, it's the Gundam EZ-8. Oh, okay. uh, it's an RX-78-2 mobile ground type uh, EZ-8. Right. Uh, and that comes from... So it's a riff off of the original model, the RX-72-8, mm -hmm. uh, which is from the original Gundam. I don't know if, you, if maybe... I'll wrap up that story by saying that's where I bought my model. It was exciting, but it also is a coming to earth moment. When you get to Japan, you realize, okay, not everybody cares. I, I, the point in that story uh, is that Gundam, I think, is Japan is the, is the home of Gundam, but it's a very international fandom. And sometimes the fandom for it is far more passionate outside of Japan than it is inside so, Japan, but certainly a lot so of passion here too. Chatty, I was told once that the Gundam fandom in Japan was as big as Star Wars is here. Is that true? I can't speak to that. I mean, I, I yeah. have certainly never. I mean, I'll tell you, that's that's an interesting question. Sugu, you might also, that might be a good conversation point for you. Like in Japan, I think that the, the fandom, like, how do I say this? Like Star Wars, Star Wars, fandom for Star Wars in America is a thing that, you can find a Star Wars fan fairly easily. And people are yes. like, they they love Star Wars and it's a part of the popular culture. It's a part of the popular discourse. What? 40 plus years after it was released yeah. originally, right? Whereas manga and anime fandom tends to be, you know, it's, it's really more about what's the flavor of the moment. So right now, mm. um, I think it's called Demon Slayer in English. Uh, but in Japan, oh. it's called... The one with the the sister who has who's like biting something. She's got a, a stalk of bamboo in her mouth. Yeah, like a, a like a horse bit. Yes, she's that's because she's in. Uh, so that's for those of you who are aware. Yeah, it's that's uh, Kimetsune Aiba, which is Demon Slayer in English, and she's a demon. So to slake her bloodthirst, or I should say, to keep her from eating people, uh, they've literally gagged her, which isn't Jeez. problematic at all. Um, <laughs> But that's, I mean, so when you talk to, you talk to a lot of anime fans in Japan, like they'll say, yeah, I know Gundam or I know One Piece, for example. Or, oh yeah, I know One Piece. That's another massively popular anime, but it's not something that people don't talk about it. They don't really like have lengthy discussions about older anime and manga. It's something that they're aware of. They know of, they'll say, oh, yeah, I like that. I can sing the theme song at karaoke, but it's not like, I wouldn't say it's comparable necessarily. Um, at least not in mainstream, not the way that Star Wars uh, sort of permeates through to mainstream culture. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that, but, you know, you may have other Gundams fans who would disagree with that. I just curious, that we'll probably talk about this more as we go on, but um, you kind of mentioned it before we started recording that there's sort of all these different sort of alternate versions, uh, different streams of canon, I guess, and Gundam. Do you think mm -hmm. that has anything to do with the fact that it's you I'm fascinated by this idea that it you know in in the sort of the Japanese sort of popular culture something reaches a certain age I guess and is sort of left behind for the moment do you think that the 
the fact that there's just no constant stream, that there's no legacy stream of canon, is it has anything to do with that? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I would say that there is one stream that goes through Gundam, and that's what's called the Universal Century. So, mm. I mean, it might help to talk a little bit about the history of Gundam. Uh, right. It's a series that starts in 1979 by Sunrise Animation. Oh, uh, 1979. Yeah, 1979. So it's, I believe, Tomino Yoshiki has said in a couple of interviews that he was certainly influenced by Star Wars. Uh, but there's the influences, like Gundam has a, a ton of different influences. Um, but basically, Gundam emerges out of this genre of anime and manga, like the super robot genre mm. right so probably anybody who's familiar um something like uh majinga zeddo or which is or zetto i should say which is like amazing or z i think in english or i think like uh it's called gigantor in america um sure but yeah in uh Eng- in japanese it's called so tetsujin number 28 and sugu if you've been to nagata in kobe there's a giant statue of that in a shopping mall. You can see it from the train tracks. Um, but I those, probably reckon, will recognize it. Yeah. Th- those series, I mean, what makes Gundam different, I think, from those series is that the bad guys in Gundam are people. Mm. It's giant robots fighting, but it's n- not giant robots fighting against aliens or ghosts or monsters or anything like that. And so that first series, 1979's Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, is a really dark series. It's really, really radically different from a lot of the other giant robot anime that feature, I mean, they're more children directed. Um, in fact, uh, the series itself is sort of a failure. It, the, the company that was making it sunrise was running out of money halfway through the production and they had to have a renegotiation towards the end of production just to keep the, you know, the, the animators animating and keep the, everything going. So it sort of limps through to its final original run. And the original line of toys, which I just found out recently, were made by a company called Clover. They weren't models. They were toys. And they were not popular. And this is sort of a thing. Like anybody who knows about uh, sort of, uh, you know, Kamen Rider or Super Sentai, which is Power Rangers in the West, like that's a similar thing in which a television show or an anime is created with the purpose of selling toys, much like Transformers or what have you back in the States. And uh, Bandai decides to jo- to buy the rights to produce models for Gundam for the original uh, television show. But the difference is, is that they're not toys, they're models. And so that st- sparks a lot of popularity among teenagers and adults who then want to go back and watch Gundam again. And so it has a re-air in 1980. And then uh, there are giant compilation movies. They're like these three-hour movies, three of them, for the entire 54-episode show. And that's when you, you, know, you see the sequel series to Gundam, which is uh, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, come in 1985. And then after that, uh, it starts to become a sort of yearly thing. You know, you get double Zeta Gundam a year later, I believe, in 86, maybe 87. Then after that, you get like these various spin-off short movies like uh zero zero eighty so the then you get like f seventy nine I think like you get like all these different spin off shows off of the original universe, which is the which later becomes uh the universal century 
then the, the popularity starts to wane a bit. And then you get from that these alternate universe Gundams. Uh, so that's where it becomes confusing. They're no longer in the original timeline because they've become stale. And you get to like 94, I think, is the emergence of uh, my, it's actually my favorite Gundam series, but it's G Gundam, which coincides with the World Cup in 94. It's a giant Gundam tournament with all these countries. It has a lot, a lot of people don't like it because they say it's racist. Uh, we, we could have a lengthy discussion about that. But uh, <laughs> well, is it? I, I think it's, it's, could it be made in 2021? Could it have been made in 2016? No, I don't think so. Uh, is it just a silly Gundam show? Yeah, I mean, the American Gundam is a boxer, with a, a cowboy boxer, you know, and the only Gundam who is not... Yeah, it's racist, I guess. Yeah, I'll say that. Uh, I mean, the only, it's reductive. It's reductive, I'll put it that way. You know, like, the only Gundam who is not uh, a... I mean, you know, the only Gundam who isn't a, a, a ridiculous representation of stereotypes is, you know, the Japanese Gundam, which is the Burning Gundam. Um, the rest of them are all, but I don't know. I mean, the Swedish Gundam is a Sailor Moon Gundam. You know, I don't think any Swedish people would say that's inaccurate. Or even like, you know, they, they would, I think they would probably, I don't know, I haven't, I've never asked a Swedish person about this. This is a lost opportunity because I've had drinks with several of them in Japan. Um, you know, the French Gundam is a, a musketeer. Uh, the German Gundam, he's a Schwartz Gundam. He's a, he's a shadow Gundam. I don't know. He doesn't look like anything like, I don't know. He's just black. Uh, they're all, but some of them are very, uh, yes, it's a, it's a racist show, but you know what? It, it, it's, it's silly anyway. And then after that, most of your, the people who know Gundam in the West, uh, that's where you get to Gundam wing, which is far and away the most popular in the West, the most popular of the Gundam series. Uh, that's the Gundam series that's shown on Toonami in 1999. I don't know if either of you guys ever watched Toonami. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nope. so that's that's that first series that, that airs on Toonami, which is uh, Gundam Wing, massively popular outside of... Probably, I would say, more popular outside of Japan than inside of Japan. Inside of Japan, what's really popular is the Universal Century. It's that first Gundam series, RX-78, Eight two with Amuro Rei being its pilot. Outside of Japan, it's Gundam Wing with all the you know the pretty boys who have really cool Gundams that you know. And then G Gundam comes next, and then the popularity of Gundam in America sort of fizzles out after that. I think that probably one of the issues was that what a lot of American Gundam fans or people who were not fans but were interested in Gundam after that first show was that well everything is going to be light and cool like Gundam Wing is. It's just sort of a silly. It's a bunch of people who are fighting in space, and it's not really that heavy of a story. And then after that, the Universal Century, they're like, oh, okay, well, we can sell the Universal Century in America. It's really hard to sell the Universal Century. That's like, we could get into a little bit of what the story is for the original, but it's a, a lot of philosophical stuff about like space versus Earth, genocide. It's a lot of stuff. So that's where it gets tricky. Yeah. I don't know the whole history of like the shows and the things like that here in the States, but the the models are fairly popular and they're pretty ubiquitous here. And so you'll see mm -hmm. them, especially in the last few years, you'll see them at Target, you'll see them at Walgreens and the actual the model kits. And so and I noticed them actually more and more uh, in recent, maybe the last year or so. So I don't know exactly what's driving that, but... Um, 
they've always kind of just been around. I've always, you know, like for myself, I never got into them. It's kind of like Sugu was saying earlier, like it's, it sort of seems like something I probably should have got into. I was a pretty big uh, Transformers fan. I was a big, uh, just a robot kind of junkie in general. But a lot of that stuff, I'd, it never really rubbed off on me, sort of, you know, like back when I was a kid, sort of like Macross or any of that stuff. I just, it just, it didn't, whatever reason. I think part of it was the model kit. Like I had some, I got some Star Wars model kits when I was a kid, but I didn't have like any, you know, I don't have any facility for that kind of a thing. So I never did anything with those. So I probably was just like, ah, I got to put it together. So... I didn't do anything. That, that makes it. sense. Sugu, how about you? Like, I'm surprised. I also want to say the same thing to you. I would kind of, that's why, thanks. That was a good question that I wanted to ask both of you guys. Why don't you think that you got into Gundam? I mean, Sugu, especially for you knowing your, your Transformers fan. Yeah, like, like I said, um, you know, giant robots that more or less uh, convert into something. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what they convert into. It looks like just a robot reconfiguring. Um, but, you know, it it's something I should have gotten into. Um, yeah, especially considering that I moved to Japan. Um, I, I did not move to Japan due to anime. Um, we've talked on the, on the podcast before, but anime was not my, my, uh, motivation to come to Japan. And so it's kind of interesting to hear, to hear your experience because most of the people that I meet are also not into anime. Like they might recognize some of the, the old ones from the seventies, like Doronjo or something like that. But beyond that, not much else. So yeah. Um, and the other thing too, is I like building stuff. Uh, mm. I build stuff all the time. You know, I, I love uh, working with my hands, woodworking, um, even model kits. I built, built, I assembled a Wonder Woman Kotobukiya uh, figure recently. Um, I loved making those model cars mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, I just never got into Gundam. I think when I started looking into it, it was already far more complicated than I could ever even hope to sure. to even think about getting started. Similar to um, American comic books, right? Like if you tell someone yeah, who has never true. read an American comic book, oh, you've got to read Spider-Man. And they're like, okay, where do I start? It's not at number one. You start at like, uh, you got to get the one where Peter Parker marries Mary Jane. And then you just kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> another example that uh, Darby and I talked about before when Darby sent me the message, you got to get Batman number, whatever that was. I'm like, okay. So I got it and read it and I have no idea why, why it was important or what was the story. Cause it's just in the middle of another story. Sure. So American I- comic books are kind of hard to introduce to people because mm-hmm. it's this huge myriad of stories that you kind of got to, well, Pick. I was going to say, I, I, I think I kind of disagree on that, um, but I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I was kind of thinking of this one as Chetty was talking about the, the um, to all the different sort of alternate universes and different takes and things like that, of which there is that in the comic books for sure. It's actually sort of 
the the feature now, uh, especially with DC comics more than Marvel. But um, I do think there are jumping on points in comics. That's sort of what was driving my question about, do you, is that the reason why Gundam, maybe the popularity wanes the further you get from the source, or just maybe these sort of uh, franchises in particular, at least in Japan, given what we've been talking about. He's something like Marvel, which, you know, we had this, this year, night, uh, 2021, 60th anniversary of Fantastic Four. We're coming up on the 60th anniversary of all the major Marvel things um there seems to be no sort of disconnect with that you know like you get sort of the further you get from it 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 doesn't seem to you have updates and retcons and things Mm -hmm. like that but essentially it's just one big rubber band going back 60 years yeah i don't want to like you know i i well i feel like there's a part of my brain that's saying like man gundam fans are gonna be really angry at you like as a gundam fan who's talking about the (laughs) darth of popularity of the gundam franchise i i would say that like to answer your question earlier, and I was thinking while you were talking about that, I, what made Gundam so special in the beginning when it first came around, and I think what what initially caused it to not be popular, and then what drove its popularity popularity later, was that it's so it was the original series was so radically different from everything that had come before. Mm-hmm. It was a story about humans leaving the Earth and what would happen to humans once they had be, had were forced to live in space and were forced to have conflict over space uh like physical space like in living in space where are you going to live and also like the resources that come from the earth and it, it's it was a story that was inherently informed by the japanese post-war experience uh, you mm. know tobino yoshiyuki like all of the animators the writers these are people who grew up in post-war japan and it's a very anti-war, despite that, like, you would you would be hard-pressed, for example, to say, is it really an anti-war story? It's about a bunch of robots. Like, tons of people die. Like, they drop asteroids on the Earth. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. But it is a fundamentally anti-war uh, series, and they get progressively darker. I would say, like, the Victory Gundam, which is the last uh, series in, I think it's 91, 93, excuse me, um, right before they start to go into the alternate universes, it's just really bleak. It's dark. It's really, really dark. And um, when you look at Gundam now, you basically get like even in the early 2000s, they tried to reboot the series with what was called, uh, uh, I'm a blank Gundam Seed, which is essentially, it was a brand new series, but it was a complete mirror. And so Sugu, if you were to ask me, Shadi, where should I get into Gundam? I would recommend going actually with Gundam Seed. Um, it okay. was, it's a retelling of the original series, but it was done in 2000, 2001, I think. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, it's sleek animation. It's really interesting. It, it's, it's a good show. It's a, it's a really good show. I would say it's, I think it's actually better overall that this is, this'll get me, uh, this'll get me attacked. I think it's better overall than the original Gundam series, but as a retelling, and it's also more accessible, but at the same time, anyway, it, it, re-sparked the, the popularity of Gundam. It, it had a, 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 re- a sequel series and, you know, Gundam series hadn't been, you know, they'd taken a sort of hiatus for a while. It sparked a few sequel series, but with the exception of Gundam Unicorn that came out a few years ago, which was very popular, it really hasn't moved the meter that much. And I think that it just, Evangelion, for example, and we, you know, that that's a name that'll trigger a lot of people, uh, both <laughs> as fans and people who hate it. But, Evangelion as another giant robo series was in many ways a response to Gundam. 
it was a, a it was a sort of a deconstruction of the giant mecha series and gundam is the establishment at this point like mm -hmm. gundam has these sort of same stories it tells about war and eventually like the the ser you know the answer to gundam or the 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 moral of the story is war is really bad uh, giant robots are cool uh, but then when you give people giant robots, they fight each other, they kill each other, and they steal resources from each other, and it's just a bad thing. And Evangelion says, yeah, but uh, what if everything was bad? Just everybody and everything. And, and that, you know, like, that's, I, you know, like, it'll be interesting. There's a new Gundam series coming out uh, next year, I believe. Um, it'll be interesting to see where, where the next iteration of the series goes. Um, they've kind of been kicking around the same stuff for a while. Um, so it'll be interesting. Is it, it's been on a hiatus for a little bit too, but yeah. To answer the original question, like there was a two-part question, like where would you get into it? I think that was from Sugu, and I, I would say Gundam Seed is where you should get into it if you've never seen Gundam before. Um, just because I think that the original animation for the original Gundam can be a bit jarring. It's pretty, pretty bad by what we would consider animation standards. Animation. And also the fact that the company was running out of money <laughs> that you, right. you can tell that really shows up sometimes when you're watching the series. And, uh, and then the other thing is uh, the, the original Gundam series itself is really, really confusing. Like if you've ever done a lot of, I, for Sugu, you know, this, my background is in history. Uh, if you've done reading on world war one, for example, you, you get your head starts to spin, right. With all these organizations mm -hmm. and all these political figures the original Gundam series is like that itself too. There's a lot of acronyms being thrown around for different organizations. And the series just expects you to know who all these people are. And I, I was watching, uh, I was watching Zeta Gundam the other day uh, on Amazon prime in Japanese, which is a maddening experience for a non-native speaker. And my wife said to me, who's Japanese, like, do you understand anything that's happening? And I said, I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure. I know for sure who's the good guy. And that's about it. <laughs> so that's how, like, I would say stay away from the early shows until you have your, your feet in the ground a little bit about Gundam. Maybe number one would be Seed, and number two would probably be Gundam Wing, just because that's so easy to get into. Hmm. Everybody knows Gundam Wing. And then, Darby, your question about, like, maybe what's led to maybe a staleness in the franchise is I think it's just they have a particular note that they like to play about anti-war, which is a great note, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how well it's been picked up by the fan base, actually. Like, <laughs> how well, you know, whether that's uh, really permeated. But, yeah, that's... that's yeah, uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, themes, uh, the themes of the story uh, communicating to the audience is a challenge in a lot of other <laughs> works, too. Uh, so what about the toys, then? Like, where would you start with the toys? Is there... So, Clover made the original toys, and then Bandai has been making the kits, right? pretty much for yeah. the entire run since 1980 yeah and so mm -hmm. i actually it was really a good chance for me to learn a little bit more i'll just say i'm not mm -hmm. a, i'm not an expert by any chance by any stretch of the imagination so the the gundam models themselves are essentially broken up into uh four different categories uh probably three that are easily attainable uh so the original line of models that were made by bandai are not similar to like the for example little peek behind the curtain. Sugu and I both have models with us right now. Sugu bought one in anticipation of this podcast, which is, you know, really impressive, Sugu. Uh, uh, well, so full disclosure, the local convenience store uh, happened to have it. So, Darby, that's mm -hmm. going to be something to... 
that might kind of shake you, but yeah, you can get model kits at a Seven Eleven. I was like I was saying earlier, like at the Walgreens, <laughs> you can go in there and get one kind of like that on the Gundam. Yeah. It's like it's. I don't know why they're at Walgreens, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> so. We're going to take a quick break to let you know about some exciting developments on the podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you like our content and you want more of it, you can subscribe to our channel and get additional conversations between Sugu and I. So stick around after the episode for a quick sample of what you could get. If you want to give us any feedback, feel free to let us know your thoughts and opinions at shelfwarmers at gmail.com or on Twitter at shelfwarmers. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's interesting because when I first got into Gundam, it was 1999, Gundam Wing was really popular on Toonami. All of my, I should say all of my friends, I had four friends. All of my friends liked Gundam to various, you know, we, we watched it. We ran home from school to watch it. And I wanted a model. I became aware that they had models somehow. I don't know how. This is, you know, back when internet was not really a thing. I had the dial-up modem. Somehow I became aware that Gundam models were a thing. And... I drove my mom crazy wanting to get a model so badly. And because I had a favorite model, my favorite model or my favorite Gundam from that series was the Death Scythe. Uh, it's a sort of a, a, a Gundam that looks like a Grim Reaper and has a giant scythe. Uh, it's really cool. Still is cool. I'll fight, I'll fight anybody about that. <laughs> but uh, my mom was like, I don't even know what these things are. What's a Gundam? And I, I don't, we can't find these things. We looked all over the place. Central Illinois didn't have them. So uh, if you're familiar with Midwestern geography, uh, we had to drive an hour, a little over an hour, to get to Terre Haute, Indiana. Hmm. Terre Haute, Indiana has a giant mall, or did. Who knows if you're it's You're crossing one. state lines. I did, I, and time zones, too. Uh, yeah, I had to go... Yeah. Had to go like, and that was a big deal for us to go to Terre Haute. I remember we went to Terre Haute when they had a big Toys R Us when when they were still standing, and we went into Ter- uh, Toys R Us, and sure enough, they had Gundam models. And so, for me as a fourteen-year-old, that was a really I had no idea because they so just tell you so if you're gonna gonna buy a, a model, they come in different scales. Sugu has the not the smallest scale. In fact, they actually have much smaller scales, which is insane to me. Um, so but, it, it says entry grade one to one forty four. Yeah, one one forty four is what I would say. If you're a novice Gundam modeler, uh, if you're, you're you're new to Gunpla and you don't want to ruin your hands and also like, you know, want to be able to kind of appreciate the experience, one one forty four is probably your I would say I wouldn't. Sorry, Sugu. I, if you had asked me, I would not have recommended getting the one one forty four. I'll just put it that way. The the okay. articulation on them is a little bit, you know, like they're fine. They're they're cute. They're cool as cute little toys, right? And you can kind of you know do the fighting with them. You can see that. And I have my brother and I both have several one one forty fours back at our house, back in my home. Um, but I would say that the typical size that you're going to get for most people is the one by one hundred. Or the one one hundred. That's the what I have actually. And then there's also one one by sixty or one sixty. That one's pretty rare. I've actually only seen that in bigger model stores. Um, and those are also usually they also go in grades. What does it have the grade written on yours? Mine says chance? entry grade. Entry grade. So I've never seen entry grade. That might be high grade. 
So usually it goes in, in four grades. The original Gundam line was, so I, I should explain this. The original Gundam models didn't have like little plastic joints that popped into each other um, called polycaps. They were originally glued together. You needed to use glue to model them or, you know, like model glue and then you needed to paint them yourself. They were, they were all the same color. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are now called first grade. Uh, I think what you have, Sugu, is maybe a high grade. Um, maybe they changed the name recently from high grade to entry grade because it's pretty hard to find the original first grade. I mean, basically, if you're buying the models, it's the with the polycaps that pop into place. Um, so I think that's what you have. What I have is a master grade. So a little bit, yeah, quite a bit nicer. <laughs> like much more articulated, much more able to move around. It actually has a sense of like weight to it. I would say that your model even as a 144 is really light and they get knocked over. It's really hard to pose them sometimes like in the, in the right pose that you want them to be in. Although that's, you can fix that a little bit if you've got like a little stand, like you've got like levitating or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, which some people like to do. This is the one by 100 and the master grade, which is pretty good quality. Obviously like you can do a lot more with it. It looks nicer. Um, And then I would never spend this much money, but you could get the perfect grade. And those are the ones that have like LED lights inside of them. I um, saw that at uh, the store nearby. Uh, Yodabashi yeah, for people in Japan. Those are really, really cool. Uh, I, and they're like, they cost what? Sometimes 250, 250 bucks, like Nimango Sen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then cost a lot more in the time that it takes to put them together. Um, Are you doing the LED wiring yourself? Uh, I, if you buy the perfect grade, yeah, you would have to be like wiring that up by yourself, putting that inside. Um, I think that they might. I've never bought one, and I've never actually made one. I watched. I've watched videos of people making it online. I, as far as I know, I don't think the the LED wiring comes with them. I think you have to do that yourself. Um, but <laughs> okay. at that point, if you're spending that much on the the model itself, I mean, like you're painting, right? So you have to have a the guy that I was watching, the, the channel that I follow, I can share it with you if you want to provide a link. The, yeah, I mean, the guy, he did that thing where like mixed the, the ink together, with a little gun, like, shh, 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 mm-hmm. shh, you know, like he's cutting tape, putting on it. Air I can't brushing. even, yeah, there you go. Uh, I can't even imagine. So you're, you're I'm giving your uh, fans or your listeners a peek into uh, how much energy I'm willing to invest in building models, but there it is, yeah. Well, you know, along those lines, I also have in my closet uh, a set of Voltron figures that are the same thing. They're in the box. They're on sprues. So I have to Mm -hmm. assemble them completely. And, you know, the plastic, just like this entry grade, the plastic is colored, so I don't technically need to paint it. But Mm -hmm. uh, for me, that's one of the draws of building these models is I want to add a, a nice metallic sheen paint on these models so like mm-hmm. you know looking at this um uh entry grade rx 78 to gunda 144 uh you know i've got this red plastic here that clearly has the shield part of it and it mm-hmm. has the boot and looking at it uh, my first thought is to kind of airbrush a metallic sheen on it to give it kind of that extra little oomph of uh, detail and 
kind of wow factor because that wonder woman mm. figure that i assembled recently you know same thing it was colored plastic and put together it looks nice enough but mm. if i knew how to paint if i knew how to like add that extra bit of like class to it it would be mm. so much better yeah that's really true because looking at this i mean if i knew how to do this and i had the resources to do it for example um my model which is so if you ask a gundam fan you know what's their favorite series a lot of people will say uh the series that this uh gundam comes from which is uh oh ms team which is a it's a spin-off of the original model and actually the model of gundam that you have the original the rx 782 this is uh, a reproduction of that that was produced for Within the TV show, it was a group, a small, so it's called Zerohachi Shotai in Japanese, or like small MS team. Um, and they were in the fighting the desert slash jungle. And so this model is really like dirty. So like, if I look at the plastic here, like all of the white pieces are really, really clean. They're mm -hmm. really, really, they're a little bit off white, maybe eggshell white. But mm -hmm. if, you know, if I'm using my imagination and I'm thinking of the scenes from the show that I loved so much, I really would, it would be better served to paint it like sort of like dirty and dusty and scarred up and scratched up. Maybe like I've seen a couple of modelers um, like scratching up, you know, like scuffs and scrapes to make it look like a real mobile suit that's been in battle fighting right. other people. So, yeah, I mean, I would certainly encourage you to do that. I did. I think I spent 2,200 yen on this uh, eight and a half years ago. And there is something like I have a sense of fear. I think about this when I when I was 14 and buying Gundam. How many did I have? Ten. When I had ten kits and like you know decorating my room with it, you know as soon as I got home, I opened up the, the model kit and I started you know immediately like took out the scissors, snapped them apart, broke it every, broke everything up, did a little bit of filing with the scissors just to try to make it smooth and and start putting it together. And I had it built within a day, maybe mm -hmm. maybe two days. Uh, depending on if I had to go to school the next day or something. Uh, but now with this, I feel a lot of pressure. I'm, I'm one of those people that like, I'm a procrastinator. I get like the pressure of it. Like, oh man, I, I did spend 2,200 on this. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I want to put this model together and if I don't know how to finish it, but you know, if I can't make it look nice, I've even thought I've kicked around a couple times with my friends, like finding a professional to like make it for me put it together with there are some people who do that for you as long as you uh, tell other people oh yeah i paid a professional to do this i uh, listen i, I don't, no don't steal someone else's work no 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 no. i have no problem telling you know listen like anybody who knows me uh sugu i come on sugu if you came to my place <laughs> and you saw a gundam looking like that on my shelf you would ask me the first thing you would ask me is who'd you pay to make this like <laughs> you know, people who know me know that about me uh, there's, there's no question about that yeah yeah, I, I would say like, I'll be interested, Sigurd, because I can see uh, maybe you can do an update in the future on the podcast about uh, how this is your, your progress going through building this. I'd be really interested to see how the painting goes for you. And if the bonus for me is if you get really good at it, I could maybe just buy you a couple of beers or, or a couple of co uh, coffees and you could do it for me. I think at this I mean, point, my going rate is more than a couple of beers. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll have to negotiate about that. We'll see. No, but so Not like for me i really like um airbrushing i'm terrible at it don't really know what i'm doing but i really like it right so 
my first project with um, airbrushing was actually a Rubik's Cube, which hopefully that'll be a, a later episode when we talk about cubes. But um, within cubing, uh, there mm. are two basic types of cubes. There's the stickers where obviously you put a sticker on it. And then if you're an 80s kid, the way to solve a Rubik's Cube is you peel the sticker off and then rearrange it as you need. Uh, but then to kind of get around that, there's also another type of cube. Um, and that is the uh, uh, molded plastic. So the plastic okay. itself is in that color. Most of my Rubik's Cubes are molded plastic. But I got uh, one or two that's stickered. I hate those stickers because they peeled off and just terrible. So what I did was I bought myself an airbrushing kit and took the whole Rubik's cube apart, like completely the every piece out. And then I just started spray painting it. Well, air, airbrushing really cool learning experience, but, uh, my apartment is just too small for, uh, airbrushing with, someone else with my wife in the room it's just a health hazard sure <laughs> i was gonna say yeah i can imagine the, yeah, the odor so, must have been pretty rough i mean i tried to do it in the winter time you know i opened up all the winter uh, all the windows it was cold as hell in this room trying to spray paint or trying to airbrush i put it in like a fume hood so, to make sure to to not get paint on everything else including my wife's hobbies it, it's just it's just a mess so i'm a bit intimidated about setting up the airbrush station <laughs> so that i can start painting this voltron and the gundam figure i was gonna say you've done a terrible job in selling me on also getting into this uh <laughs> because god knows uh if i start you know i, I start bringing home like an airbrush kit and a fume hood <laughs> <laughs> and like the minute that my apartment starts to smell like paint, uh, it's going to be like, you know, end of story. Recently, my neighbors complained that there was too much smoke coming from my barbecue. So God knows what's going to happen if they can start complaining uh, that there's a uh, paint, noxious paint fumes coming from my apartment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> after I finished airbrushing for the day, I left. Uh, I basically I had to do it at the end of the day. So I could go to bed and let the let the room kind of air out a little bit mm. <laughs> while everyone's sleeping. It was just it was horrible. Might so. be a good idea to do it on the balcony, maybe I suppose if yeah. it was possible. That's all right. All I right, did well, that I'll, once I'll... with uh, spray paint, not airbrushing, but I spray painted a palm tree that I three D printed. That ended up looking really good. All right. Well, I mean, now... I'll let you be my my teacher about that you we can have some uh the next game day whenever that happens yeah uh you you can also bring your your airbrush kit yeah I'll i think the free model. space would have a bit of an issue if i'm if i'm that's, airbrushing that's while while in a hotel restaurant that's fair yeah that's a good point too yeah there for yeah, a while uh with the star wars figures in particular i i really enjoyed making customs and things like that but just yeah not not being a very good uh, painter or certainly a sculptor like some of these guys who are wizards um, really frustrated me. So I, I didn't go very far with it. And I wish I wish uh, I had more sort of aptitude for it because that that is a lot of fun, you know, taking something and sort of you know adding to it, making it your own. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons that I got, um, I got the Voltron figure, right? Is I wanted to, to be able to put it together and looking at it, it looks good. And if I didn't paint it, it'd be fine. But man, if I put that metallic sheen on it and I mean, Darby, I, I don't know if, uh, you remember, but when you first told me you were customizing Star Wars figures, I was constantly asking you, how do you do this? How do you do it? What do you do? I, it, it never occurred to me that you could customize Star Wars figures. Yeah. It was really super basic for me. And some some folks uh, with Star Wars, and in particular these days with Legends, I look at a lot of people who do, do just amazing work with Legends. And now people are doing 3D printing mm -hmm. uh, heads and parts and accessories. And it, it's just, I'm sure they're doing it with Gundam and other things too. It's just astounding um, what people can do. And I just really admire people who can, you know, who have that kind of talent to do that stuff. I would just get super frustrated. I get to a point where I just couldn't, I didn't seem like I could do much more than what I was doing. So, um, but I, re I really dig all that stuff. And that was my frustration with sort of not just Gundam, but models in particular. Because I loved, when I was a kid in particular, the spaceships, whether Star Wars or Star Trek or even the space shuttles I had. Uh, people would always give me, it seemed like Christmas or birthday or something, the space shuttle, I think it was Ertl, not Ertl, someone else made a of the space shuttle and um, a model kit. And I loved them couldn't do anything with it it was just sort of well you know uh and that was the ones you had to glue and everything so yeah. mm -hmm. uh those were pretty frustrating for me but they also have snap the snap ones you can do i feel like they're gundam snap kits you just pop them together little ones not I mean, sure that's this the this Is gundam okay. that i have now it's it, it even says on there uh no tools no paint no stickers there you go yeah that's probably why it's entry, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that that's... There's a thing about, like, Gundam is not meant for, like, really... You know, you get... This This kind of goes back to the original difference between, like, the toys themselves. It's not... I mean, Gundam's not flashy. They all, they're all iterations of the, the original model, right? They, they The Gundam head itself, for example, that's, like, the one thing has that sort of, like, red red sort of mask and the, the, the same eye shape. You know, like the the red thing and the little horns that come off of it. It's that mm -hmm. same shape that that's recognizable as a Gundam. And I think for whatever reason, like I, I mean, I won't talk about exactly what my job is, but I, I work with with children in Japan, like a lot of people do, um, a lot of foreigners do, I should say. And uh, when I talk to my students about Gundam, like I'll, you know, I, I typically have taught students who are five to six, and I'll talk to my students, you know, like, hey do you know Gundam? Do you like Gundam? And they'll just be like, oh, my dad likes Gundam mm -hmm. or my, my big brother likes Gundam. And oftentimes my students will say that they like Transformers way more than Gundam. Like they're <laughs> very much into, in fact, Sugu, uh, what I was keeping in my back pocket was that recently, uh, three of my students told me they're big Beast Wars fans. Uh, okay. They just thought like Beast Wars is awesome. It's, it makes sense. Uh, it's an animal and a robot, which is really cool. At this uh, point in the franchise, Beast Wars is about to, uh, it's on the cusp of getting a resurgence. Basically, okay. the, the, the generation or the, the kids that were into Beast Wars now have masterpiece live, uh, masterpiece amount of disposable income that they can start buying Beast Wars. It's right on that cusp. 
Yeah, I don't know if I have that much disposable income. I certainly don't. But <laughs> I, I am probably a part of that generation. Like I watched Beast Wars as a kid and really loved it. Uh, I, especially the dinosaur, right? Or the, the, the Velociraptor character. Dinobot? The Velociraptor. Yeah. Uh, there is, he was in the Beast Wars. He was one of the bad guys who, like, like listen, you're getting at, I'm not re- really a huge Transformers fan. He turned you good, remember, right? He was originally yeah, bad, but then he turned good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dinobot. There was a recent masterpiece of him maybe three years ago or so. I have him. Uh, he's yeah. pretty cool. I don't, I, I don't know if there's an anniversary or something, but Hasbro's doing a ton of Beast Wars this year, Transformers. The There's a new Transformers movie that they're filming. It's called Rise of the Beast. And then the new Netflix show is also a combination of G1 and Beast Wars. So they're really okay. trying to kind of lean into the beast Wars stuff yeah my okay. kids i think have been watching it either on netflix or maybe they maybe the couple of the like the original beast wars show and mm. some something else is on amazon prime so a couple of the kids are watching it that way so uh-huh. yeah like gundam is not something that like the younger kids really get into it's a story it's a series maybe that people get into a little bit you know it's it's a dark story uh we've probably got we've got what 40 50 minutes into the podcast without talking about the story of Gundam. But if you're in, if any of your listeners are interested who are not familiar with Gundam, maybe this is why it's hard to get into it. It's a story about what happens when humans leave the earth and go to space. That's basically the at the heart of every Gundam story. You know, eventually humans need to leave the earth for one reason or the other, whether it's because of uh, not enough resources on the earth, overpopulation, you know, climate destruction. Um, is it Chatty, is are you familiar with the Expanse, the the book series and show? I watched the first series. Uh, yeah, on... Is it kind of like that at all? Uh, Not really. Yes and no. There are yeah, I would yeah. say there are elements of it. Uh, it. It's a little bit of what happens to. Yeah, the, yeah. Actually, you're you're not wrong about that. Now that I think about it, there's a sense that. People are not. We're all humans, but we're not necessarily the same kind of human anymore. Um, mm. And that's one of the things like. For people who get into anime and manga, they're going to um, probably see uh, a magazine that's really popular called New Type. Uh, you may have seen it in a store before. You may have seen it in a hobby store or something. Is that the one that comes with like figures attached to it? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Sometimes okay. it comes with figures. Yeah, and New Type, that comes from Gundam. So uh, in the original series, uh, what happened when some people who had moved to space and had lived in space, like they were born in space. They were like not earthlings anymore. They were still humans, but not earthlings. Their experience of being born and living in space had transformed them. It essentially evolved into what were called new types. Like the, the, their original character, the main character of Gundam. I don't want to spoil the story for anybody who wants to get into Gundam, but he realizes over the course of the show that he's a new type. Uh, and essentially like it, Tomino, the, the, the creator of the show, doesn't really have a very good definition for what a new type is. But essentially, a new type is sort of this increase. I don't know. It's the force, basically. It's basically the force. Um, it's this sense of like spatial awareness in space, like premonition, uh, precognition, I should say. Like, you know, like Gundam has a you, you sometimes see it. It's, it's from Gundam, but you hear it in other TV shows or in things like that's like kind of like some oh my god there's yep. somebody behind my mobile suit i can't see in 360 degrees but my you know like I, my spidey sense is tingling and so they they turn around and their their trigger fingers are just a little bit faster than regular earthlings and that sets up a that you know 
the original Gundam series is essentially a war between people who are living on Earth and people who are living in space but are still tr allied with the people who live on, Earth, live on Earth. And then this group of space colonies living in space, you know, the, the space colonies themselves are mistreated by the Earth, by people who have the privilege of still living on Earth. Mm -hmm. And they've evolved, though. Many of them have. They're, they believe that they've evolved through living in space, and they they create a sort of breakaway nation called the Principality of Zeon, um, very uh, influenced by Nazism, this, the National Socialism. Uh, there's a lot of mm. a lot of uh, Nazi imagery that goes around in that. Uh, you know, they they uh, they a bunch of like you know very like there's a there's a cult figure who is that you know the Duke, the, the head of the uh, the Principality of Zeon and. Zig, they, they they say the Zig Zion, Zig Zion throughout it. it it's very uncomfortable oh, sometimes watching it. Uh, they're Can the bad I guys, the though. I guess. No, they're the bad guys. Okay. The, the Principality of Zion is the bad. But also, Earth is bad, too. Like, everybody's kind of bad uh, <laughs> because everyone's being mean to it. The only person who's really good is Amuro, the main character, but even he's not very good either. He has issues. Um, you know, it's it's a very... It's an interesting series. It, it, it has a lot of questions. It asks you a lot of questions. It asks you, you know, sometimes in a conflict, nobody's really good. Um, and giant robots. One of the fascinating things about Gundam is that if you're a fan of Gundam, the, the robots themselves are so cool. That's why, you know, a 13 year old kid in Illinois fell in love with it because he saw these giant cool robots just like blowing stuff up. And they were so insanely awesome. They don't transform. Gundams do occasionally transform. Um, in fact, Gundam Wing is probably one of the first Gundams that I can think of that really transforms. Uh, the, the the main Gundam from that TV show, uh, from that anime, I should say, is the Wing Gundam, and it transforms from a jet into a Gundam. Yeah. And, but that's one of the rare ones. It's not really a common thing. Gundams don't really transform that much. Uh, even um, into, like, uh, what's it called, Gurwalk? Uh, you see, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I that's know. coming from Transformers, and Transformers is a mix of other Japanese mecha uh, franchises, right? But it's like uh, yeah, it's half plane, sure. half leg. Uh, I've no, I, I don't know any Gundam models that do that. I mean, okay. usually, like in the original series, you had, for example, you had Gun Tank, but that's not technically a Gundam. It's made of Gundanium, but it's not a Gundam. Gundanium? The Gundams are really. So, yeah, I guess I've gone a long time without talking about Gundanium. Uh, Gundanium is the material that makes... So, if there's one thread through all the Gundam series and the multi multiverses, uh, it's that all... What makes a Gundam special is that it's made out of Gundanium, which is a sort of... I don't know. It's a, it's the, the Gundam universe's... Uh, I don't know. A spin-on Vibranium, maybe. It's an like sort of a, a hitherto unknown material that was found in space and is really, really strong. And when you build a mobile suit out of it, it essentially becomes an indestructible thing. Like the, one of the things that's cool about the earth is unique about every Gundam, like through every series, there's usually this moment in which all the other normal mobile suits are trying to blow up the Gundam. And they're like, wait a second, we can't blow this thing up. Oh, wait a second. It's made out of Gundanium, which is this special thing. And then there needs to be another Gundam eventually. But like, usually the bad guy gets, a hold of the Gundam and they also fight to the death and one of them wins. Uh, usually the good guy, but not always the good guy. Is the bad uh, guy in Gundam the one that's like 
cycloptic? So that's also a thing. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, so in the original series, Amuro Ray's uh, antagonist of many, but the chief antagonist is a guy named Shara's Nabal, uh, who I'm not even going to try to say his name in Japanese. Uh, it would be like Shara's Nabudu, maybe. But anyway, he uh, he is. Yeah, I, I it's a it, listen. You're not going to get me to spoil Gundam. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to make anybody. I want you to go down this journey. Uh, he's a person who's affiliated with the Principality of Zeon, maybe. Uh, and he's such a popular character. I would say he's probably far more popular than uh, than uh, sorry uh, Amuro, who's the main character. That he an an arch he becomes an archetype, right? And so in every single Gundam series, sometimes it's the original Shar. He does show up other times in other series if it's a part of the Universal Century, but usually some facsimile of him wearing a it looks like a Prussian helmet, a Prussian military helmet. That's it's not cycloptic. It's it's a Prussian military helmet that just goes down like a visor, also. Yeah. With like two peepholes, right? <laughs> and uh, it's sort of the if you've ever seen like uh, was it Mahagogo Mach Five, that that helmet also looks a little bit similar. You know the way that like you cover the top half of somebody's head and like oh my god who's that person? We have no idea. Um, that's a similar thing. It's there's a version of Shar in every series because his character is sort of interesting. Like he's mysterious and brooding. Maybe he's a good guy. Maybe he's a bad guy. He has layers, that kind of thing. But he becomes a recurring character. Would you say it's similar to, um, there's always a version of Megatron in Transformers? Yeah, probably. I would say like it's because of the, he's a complex villain, right? He's not a simple villain. There's, he has interesting parts of his personality i think with with char what makes him so cool and he is cool yeah he's he's cool i'll, I'll say char's cool um he's sometimes cooler in some series than in another series or his version of him is sometimes cooler but it's because he is a person who seems to be above whatever the fracas of the like the current political situation of the in like that universe right so in the original series it's people who are aligned with earth versus people who are aligned with the principality of Zeon, but Shar is over and above that somehow. And he's too cool for that. And then there's a Shar, a version of Shar in uh, Gundam wing looks exactly the same. Although he's got this really, really, really long hair, but basically the helmet is the same. And he's got like a sort of, I don't know. He looks like Mr. Darcy, his clothes look like, like, you know, a horse riding thing from, uh, I don't know, Regency era England. And, his deal is his name is Zex, and his deal is I don't know actually I don't really know his deal. He just is there and he's t kind of cool and he likes to fight, and that's kind of the thing. Like you don't really know anybody. Like yeah, they're just there. They're just there. They're kind of a, they're meant to be a fly in the ointment for the main character. They're a recurring thing. It's pretty easy. Yeah, that's that. I yeah, uh, that's actually I never really thought that much about Char. It's well, we're all discovering this as we go. We're sort of <laughs> learning a little bit more about Shar in my what I think of Shar. Yeah, he yeah he's he's an interesting character. I think the reason that Shar is well, I mean, there's any number of interpretations of who he is. I think another Gundam fan might say differently than me. But no. if you ask me, why is it that this character keeps recurring over and over and over again? It's because he's a cynical commentary on what's happening within the television show itself, the narrative itself. Like characters in Gundam are very earnest all the time. 
they're all very serious about what's happening. It's very dire. Everything's terrible. Everything's bad. World War Three is either happening or has happened or it's World War Seven. And Char is a character who's sort of not interested in that. Like he's the sort of the chaotic element to the, to the, to the narrative. He doesn't particularly care. He sometimes joins one side or another side, but he doesn't care about the narrative itself. And he's also cool while doing it at the same time. So I would say would he has say... a little bit of a Han Solo-ish sort of element to him. I don't know if like relating him to characters. I don't know that Megatron, because he's never the big bad. Oh, okay. Okay. He's never the main villain of the series. He's usually like villain adjacent. Okay. There is one time where he's the main villain. He has a movie, a spin-off movie called Char's Counterattack that it sort of also represents the bookend to the original series. That's like the final note on several of the characters from the original series, although not really now because they just re- resurfaced it recently. But in that series, in that movie I should say, he's the the, the final big bad, the boss. And it's pretty bad at the end of it. But his other iterations are just there as a... You know what, actually, who he is? He's... If you've played the Mega Man X series... Nope. He Okay, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, if you've played the Mega Man X series of games, there's a character who resembles Char a little bit, too. And there's just this sense of, like, guy who's there. He, like, shows up, you know... You're battling your way to get to the big bad. And then there's this other guy who randomly shows up for random encounters and is related to the bad guy. He's definitely, if you're talking about like the hero narrative, right? Like if the main character of Gundam is, is developing, you know, keeps rejecting, I don't want to be the hero. I don't want to be the hero. I just want to be a kid. Because usually the, the main character of Gundam is like a 17-ish, 15-16 shonen boy character. And like, like Luke, he's sort of, I mean, yeah, Obviously, we're getting back to the way in which Gundam was influenced by Star Wars, but he's that boy character who like keeps saying, like, you know, refusing the call to destiny. I, I don't want to be the hero. I know I have this special power. I know somehow I got into this giant robot on accident at the beginning of the series, and everyone's relying on me, and everyone's depending on me, and I don't want to do this. And usually the Shark character is there to kind of say, like, why are you doing this, actually? Don't you want to quit? Don't you think this is stupid? Uh, don't you think this whole thing is ridiculous? And also, let's fight, because it's cool. And they, they fight, and sometimes they become friends by the end of the series. Sometimes they like each other. Invariably, the shark character dies by the end of the series. He gets killed or Spoilers. defeated or something like that. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I just ruined it for you. Uh, Char doesn't die. Char doesn't die. I'll, I'll say that. Char doesn't. But usually his iterations, the other the spin-off versions of him do. Um so there you go. That was a, yeah. I should have known. I I uh, I watched the original Gundam and Zex. He bites it at the end. I'm like, oh man, this character was really cool. He's gone. Well, I guess you know the next time. Oh, maybe this guy's gonna. Nope, didn't live to the end. I uh, didn't didn't make it this time. But yeah, there you go. So a Sorry. couple of things. One, on this podcast, we spoil a hell of a lot of shows. So I think you're fine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and two. It seems like he's almost like the um, the dying version of the of the fire of the Fire Nation uh, Zuko from Avatar. That's, That's interesting. What I, I was I was thinking about too is Zuko. Yeah. Yeah, because Zuko's sort of charismatic, right? He has a lot more. I don't know. I I 
I'm probably, you know, you, I don't know how you guys feel about uh, Airbender. Um, I'm not a big Aang fan. He's fine. I find the, the characters surrounding Aang to be a little bit more interesting. I think and that's the, world, the point, though. Well, yeah, the, the, okay. If the, wow, I feel really vindicated. Uh, but I think, I mean, yeah. Because like, Aang yeah, is right. always like the, um, he's the Buddhist, right? He's the one who, right. who knows the, the right thing to do. And he's the one who has to, his main conflict is how do you take down the big bad without violence? Sure. Right. Like when he's threatening violence on everything, how do you take him down? In, even the other avatars are saying, well, suck it up. <laughs> right. Like, so wow, that's... that's interesting. Cause you're getting to, I mean, what you just talked about, I think is a really accurate description for a lot of the main characters of Gundam series. A lot of the main characters are going to, they're not pacifists for sure, but they're characters who are, have this insane sense of responsibility and destiny shunted on them. Mm -hmm. So the original series, uh, Amaro, if you watch the first episode, which I encourage all of you to do just because it's interesting. I mean, the very first episode, you've got this kid Amaro who's living on a, um, a space colony and there's a like his space colony just happens to have the Gundam on like his, uh, well, his father's a scientist who's actually one of the developers of the Gundam. Um, you want to talk about uh, lack of familial uh, communication. He's not quite sure what his father's doing. <laughs> but his dad works on a giant robot. Um, but Amuro himself is a genius also. And he's a, he is, he's a, a, he's a new type, so he has these latent abilities. Um, there's a, a terrorist, essentially a terrorist attack by the Principality of Xeon on his space colony. Everything is getting blown up. Lots of people are getting killed. And he somehow makes his way to the bunker where one of the Gundams is. And that's what the, the terrorist attack is there to do. They're there to steal the Gundams. Mm -hmm. And because it's a weapon that could turn the war. Uh, and this actually happens again in, like, so, spoiler warning. It's the, literally the, the first episode of Gundam is also the first episode of Gundam Zeta. So, like, they're both the exact same. It's a, a boy whose dad is a scientist who's on a colony that's getting terror. Like, they're literally shadow. Like, they, I think they just, they, they just changed the hair color or something. But Amaro gets in this Gundam and sort of the, the character of the ensuing series, Camille, also gets in the Gundam and immediately has a talent for moving this giant robot, defeating uh, enemies. And suddenly all of these giant political organizations and these people are telling these main characters that you have a responsibility you can pilot this thing you can end the war you can save millions of lives you've got to do this and all of these other people putting these massive expectations on in both cases i think amaro 17 i can't remember if camille is 17 or 16 but you've got like boys who are essentially breaking mentally both of them suffer psychological breaks uh, to, to differing degrees. A bit um, of Ender's Game in there. Yeah, there are an, an elements of Ender's Game. I think I remember reading somewhere that Tomino uh, was influenced by uh, Starship Troopers, okay. which your which your uh, your mileage right varies on how cynical you think Starship Troopers actually is. Right, the Paul Verhoeven movie is a really cynical take on militarism. It's a, it's it's essentially a satire, right? Then yeah. There's some people who disagree with whether the novel itself is actually satirical or whether it's, you know, serious. I, and Verhoeven's interpretation is it's satirical. Um, but 
but the mobile suits themselves for Gundam are actually inspired by uh, the mobile suits or these like sort of armor suits that the characters from Starship Troopers walk around in. Um, okay. But there, there's this sense that this sense of the, the, the insane toll that war and battle and fighting uh, take like there's, it's not quite, I think relayed in the original Gundam, but in Gundam seed later, um, see, one of the things that's interesting about Gundam is, and this is different from like animation in the United States, for example, but there's usually about 50 to 54 episodes of Gundam, and it's because they have it literally every week for an entire year. And sometimes that can be like really, really boring, actually. If you're really honest, like some of the episodes are really, really sparse. You're like, nothing happened this week. Uh, mm -hmm. They were going through the desert. Uh, because they're running away from bad guys and X random bad guys showed up and they had to fight and that, it was completely pointless. But, and you know, like that, the narrative doesn't progress whatsoever, but Gundam seed used that to its advantage. Actually, what it did was it talked about how its main character was literally the monotony of waking up every morning and there being a random attack and like the, the psychological duress that he was under just that he just didn't have enough energy. Like at one point they're like, you've got to wake up and just get into the suit. Like the alarm, the klaxon is going off. You got to wake up, you got to go. And him saying, I can't, I just can't get out of bed. I can't do this. And wow, Sugu, that was a really interesting analogy that you made to Ender's game because Ender has a similar experience, right? Yeah. We're serious spoiler, war spoiler warning guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Ender has that same thing where she just doesn't care anymore. And Bean has to be the captain, right? Of the, the commander of the of uh, his dragon he's dragon by that point but yeah like he talked man we really talked about two problematic works of science fiction in uh, starship troopers and now ender's game uh <laughs> well ender's game is problematic due to the author mm -hmm. the story itself I is think that there's there are problematic elements to ender's game as well but they're uh, meant to be problematic right I think with I Ender's don't... Game, it it's know. certainly the author has had some issues, which <laughs> is reflected poorly on the work. And the book itself, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those great sci-fi novels that's just full of great ideas. So it has, it just, you know, it, it sort of has this value that sort of persists. Starship Troopers, honestly, I, for me, Heinlein was a great sci-fi author, I, he doesn't really register with me, um, and I don't think those books sort of land the same way now. Although, you know, books about fascism maybe have some value at the moment. I don't know. But yeah. the, wow. uh, the um, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. It's like when you consider the creator. This is a whole different conversation we won't get into, but, you know, the creator versus the work, and then what happens, you know, when the mm -hmm. creator sort of has, you know, it's, it runs into some headwinds culturally let's say put it mildly that's and, extremely you know, what, diplomatic yeah that's the, what value does the work have and sometimes you can't separate them there's an argument to be made you can never separate them but um uh, yeah that it is super interesting it's super fascinating and i'm i'm struck by sort of the post-war culture in japan in general and the way it manifested in narrative and so how so much of our culture growing up in our generation i should say was influenced by what came out of all these post-war 
uh, trauma in Japan, whether it was mm-hmm. an anime or whether it manifested in Gundam or Godzilla, certainly. And then at the same time, so much of European slash Western culture seems to have informed that where you have all these tropes and you're talking about it a little bit, Chatty, where you have all these World War One and World War Two sort of European tropes. You see it now even today in some of the things like Attack on Titan, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you have these sort of the... The, the cultures and the costumes and things like that are sort of rendered in a sort of a European way. And then you have it with Miyazaki where he personally was so influenced by sort of, you know, Italy and Ita- the sort of airplanes and that sort of European culture, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's so fascinating that you have this cultural exchange where, you know, they drew on all these sort of Western sources that created these wonderful Eastern sources that then, mm-hmm. in turn, have influenced us and right. that we were such yeah. big fans of. I, I, I love that idea. It's fascinating how it works. But um, the, the yeah. influences of, like, Suku can attest to this. Um, it's fascinating because you, I mean, I, so just as a little bit of my background, like, my master's degree is in Japanese history, and I focused on uh, the Meiji Restoration or Rebellion given your, it just depends on your interpretation. There's some disagreement in, in the field, but um, there are elements of Japan from that era that come specifically, they, they, the government, the Meiji sort of restorers, if you want to call them, the, the, the group of people around the, the emperor who are supporting him and then become the framers of the new, uh, the new Japan, as it were, that were actually Japan. Like it wasn't Japan before that, a lot of people would argue. Um, those people get to pick and choose. They go on a world tour, several of them, people like Hukuzawa Yukichi. You know, they come to America and they go to the, they go to England and they go to Germany and they, they visit different governments from around the world and they pick and choose different elements that they want to use to create the new national, uh, Japan, right? That the new nation of Japan and, uh, the school system and the military are borrowed from the Prussian state. Um, and so a lot of Japanese school, uh, events in Japanese school. And this is what I was getting at with Sugu. Like a lot of Japanese people are not aware of the way that elements of their schooling is basic is built off of the gymnasium from uh, from Prussia, right? This this model of schooling. And right. uh, this, like for example, like if you have ever watched anime, any of your listeners out there who know anime, you've probably seen scenes of the undokai or the sports day. Uh, it seems like a very Japanese thing, and most Japanese think it is a super Japanese thing. But when you do any modicum of research into it, it's, oh, like this is based off of uh, German military schools, Prussian military schools, and also like, the is... Olympics. Right, the Olympics has a lot of obvious influences in that, and and so you know it's it's no surprise that, um, particularly when it comes to militarism or like imagery of militarism or imagery of like politics, again the the, uh, the Japanese government system, the the parliament system, the parliamentary system they have is based off of the British parliamentary system. It's literally mm-hmm. taken whole, almost wholesale. The constitution was uh, forced, helped, <laughs> helped framed. Uh, I'm using heavy, heavy finger quotations like framed uh, or helped with by the American occupiers. But a lot of elements in I mean, like even the katakana system itself, uh, which so if you are familiar with Japanese at all, uh, there's a there's a uh, a written system called katakana that helps to helps Japanese speakers to pronounce. I use that with large quotations. 
uh, pronounce foreign words. And mm-hmm. even that itself, like when you listen to some of the English words, it's based off of like European pronunciations of words, like br- more British English than, for example, American English. I'm trying to, like, I used to know a few words, which this is getting really far away from Gundam. But yeah, that, that's, that's, that explains, I think, a little bit, gets at a little bit some of that influence um, there. I, if you ever want to do a bonus, a little at the end of this, a little bonus uh, episode. So I just, I have an Orson Scott card story, you guys. I just want to, you could, if you want to put that on, if you have a Patreon, I can tell you about the time I sent an email to Orson Scott card and got a very, uh, very rude response. So just that that's the, that's the genesis of my dislike well, for him. You can't started, start yeah, that story you gotta, without you finishing. Gotta tell us. Yeah. We're, uh, as maybe a great way to wrap up this really great sure. conversation today. Lay it on us, man. What was the what was uh, Orson right. Scott card? Uh, well, I mean, listen, I was a I was a big Ender's Game fan uh, around the in the early aughts, uh, and uh, so he started doing all the you know like he did his uh, Ender's Shadow and little spinoffs following Bean's story, right? And uh, I didn't particularly in, so I thought that. For me, one of the most this is this is a big view into my psychology. Uh, one of the most compelling characters in my mind in Ender was always Peter. I was fascinated by Peter. It was fascinating to me at the end of Ender's Game how Peter could go from what he is to somehow becoming the hegemon, mm-hmm. and and also like somehow becoming a person that like you know, the narrative at the end of Ender's Game essentially talks about him softening as a person that leadership changed him into the kind of person that he and Ender could sort of patch things up towards, you know, because he writes as a speaker for the dead, he writes the hegemon. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, I didn't particularly like the way that as a fan, I didn't particularly like the way that Peter was being written in Ender's shadow and the ensuing books. I thought he was like, when is he going to turn into the guy who becomes the hegemon? I, I just don't know. And so particularly, I think like towards, the third book and i can't remember the rest of the, the names of those books but the third book they get just gets really worse the books you're talking about xenocide no 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 uh so there's uh, ender's shadow which came out years later and is like a sort mm-hmm. of it's an alternate take on ender's game but written from bean's standpoint yeah, right and then like he has sequels to those books that talk about the political situation on earth and peter is pretty like shrill and childish and pedantic in the series and not not particularly a good leader at all um and i wrote an email to orson scott card asking i still if i had the ad if i had uh, access to my hotmail account i would still have the email saved because i saved <laughs> it uh so what i sent to orson scott card he had a website that he had an email that you could send him i can't remember what the name of the website was but um I just sent an email saying, you know, hey, like I'm a huge fan of Peter and I'm sure a lot of people like me who are big fans of Peter would be really fascinated in hearing the story of Peter. I, I'm just curious, are you ever planning to write uh, a story about Peter in the future since you've done one for Ender now or done one from Bean now and also get a little bit into Petra? And uh, I got an email back like literally the next day. It was not uh-huh. like, a, hey, I got back to this like, after you know, I'm a busy writer uh, I got an email back the next day. I got this in my college dorm, freshman year, 2004. Uh, and it is 
the snarkiest, rudest email I have ever received in my entire life. And it was basically, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something to the effect of, well, that's great that you like him. And I'm sure that's what fans like. They all have their favorite characters. But as an author, I don't have the time to write a story for every single thing that every fan likes. So I'll just tell you now, I won't be doing that. Oh my and god! I was just like, wow. I remember as an 18 year old kid sitting at the, you know, like I was starstruck, right? Because I'd actually gotten an email back. I hadn't expected yeah, to get an email sure. back from from Orson Scott Card, right? I remember sitting in my dorm talking to my friends, being like, "You guys, I I think Orson Scott Card is a jerk." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Also, my friends were like, who the hell are you talking about? But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but that was, you know, like, and, you know, like years later, and it was quite, I think probably it was about 2000. Well, obviously, 2011, 2010, when Ender's Game, the movie starts to be in production, finally mm. in production. There were huge, you know, people having a lot of discussion about whether the movies should be made, right? Because of mm. who Scott Card was. I think he probably, you know, a lot of his anti, or I should say, a lot of his homophobic comments came out and started to become really mainstream probably 2008, 2009, 2010. Yeah, somewhere around there is where I found out about it. Yeah. Right. And so that's where, which is bizarre considering the amount of homoeroticism that is very prevalent in Ender's Game. Uh, so, it's, I mean, but, it's, always, I mean, it's always those guys, right? It's like. Right. You know, J.K. Rowling. It's I for me. Well, I'm not going down that road, but I'll just say <laughs> I'll just say uh, Orson, man. Way to sell more books by firing off the email to the readers. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. Never paid for another one after that. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. They didn't do that. That's fascinating, man. So I would be also like this is a call out to all of the listeners out there. Uh, yeah, you want to send? You want to flood? Uh, Sugu and Darby's mailbox with your stories of how it was Orson Scott Carter's <laughs> a jerk to you personally. Please. Yeah, let's hear him. Right, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I really only read mm-hmm. Ender's Game, Speaker for the Dead, and Xenocide. I love Speaker for the Dead. I thought it was such a uh, like important book in the sense of like, can you can you develop empathy for? people who are supposedly monsters it's i think speaker for the dead is a better book than ender's game personally although i love ender's game i was actually thinking about speaker for the dead the other day like as as a position it's it's a really sorry i think i cut you off but yeah no 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 i i I agree i think speaker for the dead is a better book ender's game has one of the great all-time endings (laughs) so it's it so it's it's always going to be part of the conversation regardless of how much of a jerk he is and he's a jerk capital letters i'll say i'll say as a writer the writers love to hear from readers and writers also don't don't fire back angry emails at your readers what the hell like just yeah what are you doing yeah you know yeah yeah it's this it's bad form although i'm waiting right now i will say this i'm waiting for an angry email from you darby Oh, just no. just randomly, just send me an angry email. <laughs> yeah, it's like no, you're not gonna get that book you wanted, so deal with it and stuff. So, um, sucker. Yeah. So he seriously could have just ghosted me. Seriously, yeah, ghosted yeah. Me, yeah. But uh, oh, there was yeah. someone else. I, I there was someone else I was thinking of who's a similar a writer who sort of I feel like they're just waiting for the 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 correspondence to come in because they're so angry. But uh, maybe best left best left forgotten but 
Yeah, no, this has been a fascinating conversation. That's a great sort of anecdote. Um, great, great, uh, great for laughs. But I, I feel like there was like, and there's so much more to talk about too. Like it feels like with Gundam. So hopefully people, um, if they're not familiar, check it out. And I know I'll be kind of reading up. I'm really fascinated now by definitely the original series, like that sort of first Gundam. I wouldn't mind checking some. Yeah, of that definitely out, so. get into it. Check. It. I think it's on Netflix. Actually, I don't know anything about American Netflix. Uh, I do know it's on the mm. Japanese Netflix, so check it out. Do not watch it in Japanese with English subtitles. Just do yourself <laughs> right. a favor and watch the English yeah. dub. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and have fun with it. I mean, I think, like, just go into it. If you're wanting a fun time, this is the final thing I'll say. Like, if you're wanting a real, real fun time and you don't want to be that, you don't want to get bogged down too much in, like, depressive story you know like a sort of depressing story like go with gundam wing Mm -hmm. um if you like silly go with uh, g gundam and take it with a big grain of salt Uh, Mm um you know like it's heavily influenced by chinese like wuxia uh that's really cool and if you're into if you are wanting to get into the original you're like i just want to get into the original go with the original if you're thinking that the original looks bad like in terms of animation then go with uh, gundam seed and uh yeah and if and if you're into like just cool stuff like gundam unicorn is also really cool too i would say gundam unicorn is a really good entry level because it's the most recent series uh really cool animation beautiful animation really Mm -hmm. cool models uh i would love to get a gundam unicorn model it's great yeah it's good stuff cool so i would love to hear updates in the future like little tidbits in your podcast how you guys are going through your your gundam journey uh sugo i will bother you about this I'm sure. <laughs> Just put it in the podcast like every five minutes. All right. So I cut off one piece on the sprue and I don't know how to put it together. I'll make it my mission to, to make you watch Gundam. Uh, we'll have a, we can have a, I'll set up a separate chat, the Gundam watching chat. We can get that through. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. guys. You know, Darby, you're, you're on Thank this you. chat as well. Yeah, man, let's do it. Let's let's. I, I'm serious. Like, I I'm really curious about it now because I'm really fascinated by some of the ideas and everything. So I wouldn't mind checking it out. But yeah, it's been a great conversation. So thank you, Chatty, for coming on and and giving us all the knowledge and sharing yeah. your love of Gundam, man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me the time. Uh, all those people who are gonna try to at me, I will not tell you my social media. So please keep your hot takes to yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Eddie, for uh, yeah. for joining us. Thanks for making um, time. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll see you around in maybe a future episode to show the progress. Sure. All right. Yeah. I'm looking and, forward to it. And Darb, you got to get this as well, so that we can all build it together while we're watching the show. This is the uh, entry grade RX seventy eight two Gundam one to one forty four. I might uh, take another look at these ones at Walgreens. They're, I feel like they're smaller than that, but I'm not 100%. Um, Why don't you do a, a cool. fan poll? You can do a Twitter yeah, we fan do poll. We see could do which that. model you need to get. We could figure yeah, out how to do fan polls. <laughs> no, they're super easy on Twitter. Yeah, we can do them. We can do them on, that's a great idea, actually. We can do it like, you know, you should start with perfect model or whatever the term is, like the big one, you know. Perfect grade, yeah. I I, uh, don't want to wish that on you. Uh, (laughs) That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter, at Darby Harn. 
Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.